Hello, hello. Welcome to our first episode of the Student Coalition for Racial Justice Decarceration Committee. SCRJ is a student-run organization based out of the Illinois Mathematics and Science Academy that works on several different levels of advocacy to address various issues that we as youth deem to be of paramount importance in our own communities and beyond. Our organization is separated into individual committee, committees. The focus of this podcast we on topics relevant to the committee that we represent, which is the Decarceration Committee. The Decarceration Committee seeks to make expansive changes to the current criminal justice system by researching existing disparities and advocating for reform through various approaches, such as media awareness, campaigning, petitioning, and engaging with local, state, and federal lawmakers to tackle the issue of mass incarceration in our state and nation one step at a time. Our committee was officially founded in May of 2021, so at the very end of the previous academic year, it faced a slow start as it was largely developed during the peak of COVID-19 remote learning environment, so initial engagement was limited. The committee really kicked off the following academic year, so the current one, and now we have a solid team of committed, passionate, and dedicated members that work on all different kinds of initiatives and projects as part of our effort to create radical change to our current criminal justice system. At this point, we've worked with and met with many organizations including um, NAM, Illinois Alliance for Reentry and Justice, Restore Justice, and Parole Illinois. We're currently working on two major projects, which we'll talk about in future podcasts. All right, so now it's time for personal introductions. Hello again, my name is Valeria Castellanos, or Val. My pronouns are she, her, and I'm currently a junior at the Illinois Mathematics and Science Academy. And I had the opportunity to found this committee my sophomore year at IMSA, and I've had the pleasure of co-leading this committee alongside a long-term committee member. In fact, one of the committee's very first members, Kira Feliciano, who I will now pass it on to so she can go ahead and introduce herself. Hi, my name is Kira Feliciano. Uh, my pronouns are she, her, I'm a junior at IMSA, and I'm the other head of decarceration committee. Hello, I'm Jetta Sola Salinan. I'm also a junior at IMSA. Um, I helped lead this committee. I was the former head of police and prosecutor accountability, which is now merged into decarceration. Hi guys, I'm Yura Lee, and I'm also a junior at IMSA. I use she her pronouns, and I'm a newer member of the decarceration committee, and I started working with everyone this past year. All right, so now that we've introduced a little bit about our committee and uh, now it's time to get into what we hope to address, which is mass incarceration. And the way that we hope to do that is by decarcerating, primarily starting off with our state, the state of Illinois, and then taking on a more national impact. And so mass incarceration really just refers to a general increase that has occurred over the past 50, 50 years uh, where the number of prisoners in the country has risen by about 700% amounting to 2.3 million, and that's according to American Civil Liberties Union. Now, this is very interesting to see because while crime rates in the United States have been declining, the incarceration rates seem to only be increasing. Now, this is a concern because the majority of this rise can be attributed to changes in law and policy as opposed to actual changes in crime rates. So what does this mean? This essentially means that more people are being in prison, not because there are com- more people are committing more bad things or more crimes. It's because they are, it's because of policy changes that I've attributed to this. To put that into context at a national level, the United States itself amounts to, or contributes 4.25% to the world's entire population, but yet nearly makes up 25% of the world's entire prison population. And that is a statistic according to ACLU. Now, specifically in the state of Illinois, which is where our organization is based, the incarceration rate is 564 per 100,000 people. 
That is 76,000 people that are currently behind bars. And that is according to Prison Policy Initiative. Um, and that's a statistic from 2018. Now we can only assume that that statistic has only increased. Now there are certain factors like punitive punishment, forced country evictions, and lethal crime that do wage into these percentages. However, there is a clear problem with our criminal legal system, and that is mass incarceration. As a result of this, the nation's state and local prisons are overcrowded, state fiscal, state fiscal costs are heavy, and public safety is ineffectively addressed. Now, as an additional point on this, sentencing enha enhancements like mandatory minimums and habitual offender laws have also been utilized against African-American Illinois residents at rates much higher than other races. So our organization not only helps to address issues that are prevalent in all of society, but especially issues that have significant racial disparities. To put this into further context, in fact, 87% of 4,000 inmates serving life or de facto life sentences are people of color. That's 75% of which are African-American, and that is according to, prison, to the Prison Policy Initiative. Now, these statistics don't just demonstrate this nationwide issue of large-scale incarceration, but they also highlight racial bias present within our criminal convictions. Even as changes like the abolition of cash bail and the decriminalization of substance use help to, help to eliminate social inequities, African-Americans continue to be sentenced longer terms. Moreover, the state's current criminal legal system is costing unnecessary expenses, affecting both state budget and community resources. In fact, it costs between $21,000 upwards to $38,000 annually to incarcerate a person in the state of Illinois. And that's according to Jackson Green, a 2015 statistic. This significant amount of state resources could alternatively be used to implement solutions that better address the problem at hand, like rehabilitation programs, drug and alcohol prevention groups, anger management and domestic violence prevention, life skills such as parenting, computer skills and employment skills, cognitive and behavioral programs, and educational resources and other programs alike. A survey administrated by the Alliance on Safety and Justice showed that most victims of violence desire violence prevention and not incarceration. By putting state resources into prevention programs, crimes can be avoided while victims' desires are met. Mass incarceration isn't just like an issue that appeared overnight. It has a lot of roots in this country that trace back to even slavery. So as we know, slavery was a thing that happened, it existed. And even after slavery was abolished, um, in the law, it says a person has, has a right to like be paid minimum wage unless they're in prison. Basically, a bunch of states got around this is that they incarcerated Black people at enormously high rates so they could send them to prison. And once they were in prison, they didn't have to pay them a fair wage or at all. They could also strip their right to vote. So essentially, what it was, was slavery under a different name. This system still exists today, but it was really prevalent during slavery times because it was a way to keep the status quo without breaking the law. And so this, um, this really, it really sets the stage for a bunch of later policies that contribute more to the, to the stuff that we have today. So while slavery was like the, like the starting ground, slavery, slavery and slavery times didn't give us the huge mass, the mass incarceration system that we have today. That, is largely due to Reagan and Bill Clinton. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the Illinois state population. In Illinois alone, there were about 7,800 state prisoners 
aged 50 and older by the end of 2019, who collectively make up about 20% of the state's prison population. This is a statistic by Blush Rose um, in 2020. In addition to this, 20% of the Illinois prison population is made up of inmates serving sentences over a decade long. Uh, this was another statistic by Blush Rose in 2020. And these long sentences, even for nonviolent offenders, have been attempted to be justified by the claim of public safety when really this approach is counterproductive. Increasing evidence also shows that around the age of 30, most people age out of crime. This was a fact by the Sentencing Project in 2018. Studies by the National Research Council reason that because recidivism rates decline markedly with age, lengthy prison sentences, unless they specifically target very high rate or extremely dangerous offenders, are an inefficient approach to preventing crime by incapacitation. Despite these findings, Illinois prisons still hold a significant number of outage inmates with long prison sentences. Okay, so now, since we've already brought up Illinois, we're going to focus a little bit of more on Illinois specifically. In 1978, Illinois eliminated parole, causing a considerable shift in incarceration rates. And this is from a 2020 statistic from Restore Justice. The simple act of restoring parole would again give inmates the chance to have their sentences reevaluated by a parole board. And along with the same idea, the governor has the authority to grant clemencies to individuals incarcerated in state prisons. So, currently, about 1,200 clemency petitions are filled each year, but only about two are actually granted on a yearly basis. Again, this is a fact from Restore Justice. And so, basically, when clemencies are filed, they kind of just sit on someone's desk until it's reviewed by the governor and they can approve it. Granting more clemencies, especially now since we have had COVID-19, it would bring about a necessary change in the state's current criminal legal system. And in order to achieve incarceration rates that satisfy international norms, there must be a dramatic reform to the current criminal legal system, which is decarceration. Legislators must be urged to pass a second look act because it would give inmates the opportunity to have their sentences reviewed and in many cases reduced. This kind of legislation could give a considerable number of the existing inmate population the ability to re-enter society, rejoin the families, and become productive working citizens, which many are not given that chance under this system. All right, so now that we've kind of thrown all that information out, let's just have a little conversation. So what stood out to you guys? What kind of points do we want to address? I mean, that was a whole lot of info to kind of digest. Well, also, I think the fact that we, that America as a whole, we have so many people who are incarcerated, the fact that we make up like 25% of the world's um, inmates while not holding that much of the world's population is just wild to me. Like, if all these countries are housing a lot less inmates and still are running fine, then, then what's our excuse for doing it? And the fact that Illinois has like outlawed parole is like insane in my mind, especially with the culture that we have today with everyone's like, oh my God, cancel culture is so bad because it's to grow and change. Mm -hmm. Where is that in our government? Especially because Illinois is one of 16 states. So there's other states who are currently still have parole and it seems to be, in, they seem to have a better system. And honestly, it's been, what was it, 1978? It's been so many years since, and I feel like Illinois does deserve a lot of reform in the prison system. 
Absolutely. And, and some of the statistics that we threw out earlier, um, we kind of did give an indicator as to why this may be the case. But do we want to dive a little bit deeper into that? Like, why do we think that we have such a large prison population? Let's talk specifically in Illinois. I think because we're so focused on punitive uh, justice, because we're so focused on punishment. When somebody does something wrong, our first instinct is we have to punish them. But punishment doesn't solve the issues. I remember when we had like the education day a week or two ago, um, there was a lot of examples about gang members who joined gang for communities. And when they got in prison young, they, they realized, well, that gang community wasn't wasn't right for me, you know? But throwing them in prison what wasn't what made them realize that. The punishment wasn't made wasn't what made them realize that. It was age and wisdom that made them realize that. You know? And just to put that a little bit into context for our audience, an education day is just a reoccurring event that we have uh, kind of on a monthly or semester basis where we talk about important topics that relate to the different issues that our different committees are working on. Okay, so now back to your point about punitive justice. So what I'm hearing is that Illinois or the United States focuses more on making sure it's someone takes the blame for something that has occurred, something bad that has occurred, as opposed to solving the root issue. And so that sounds to me like there's a need for reentry programs. But yeah, there is a need for reentry programs. Mm -hmm. I think I think what um, what Avalon said when we were meeting with Illinois Alliance for Reentry Justice, how reentry shouldn't just be after you get out of jail, it should be that your first point of contact. That's so true. Mm -hmm. I, I your first entanglement entanglement with the criminal justice system, whatever that might be. Yeah, I think that's mm -hmm. so true. Going back to what Joshua said about a lot of it being coming down to like games and like youth involvement in that. A lot of the people involved in that and like in crime and that kind of like lifestyle, I guess, are people of color in lower income communities, which Illinois specifically in Chicago and like suburbs near Chicago, a lot of people are lower income people of color, mm -hmm. which feeds into the prison system because it pushes them to make these choices to be in games or to be involved in crime or steal or whatever it may be that they're involved in. And then they get through the juvenile system and they keep repeating crimes and it just continues to perpetuate the cycle. And it goes back to a long time ago in the roots of slavery when black people were trying to be incarcerated. Like that was the goal. Mm -hmm. You know, I love that you brought that up because that was definitely one of the big focuses of our education day, what we saw in that documentary, which we could detail in the description or in additional resources that will be attached to this podcast. Um, and it was actually a documentary provided to us by Parole Illinois, which they do also have uploaded on their YouTube channel. But that essentially explained um, or tried to clarify a point where a lot of people seem to bring up whenever you bring up the statistics saying that, oh, the majority of people who are serving are incarcerated currently are people of color, but people sometimes will try to oppose that and say it's because those people of color, it's because people of color are creating, are the ones who are creating more crime, but of course they are when they're born into a situation that that's kind of like the intergenerational impacts that has occurred. So like back to your point, Yureli, uh, we saw one of those anecdotes that was shared where I don't remember his name, but it was a man who had been serving several decades, a several, you know, decade long sentence. And he said that just 
just by living on the street that he grew up on, he was already viewed as a rival for the gangs, for the opposing gang, and also an enemy in the police's, the, you know, the criminal justice system's eyes. The police were already targeting him just because of the street that he lived on. And so from point one, from day one, he was already put in a situation that made him have to approach life differently, right? That's not something that every single person has to experience. And that's definitely something that sometimes puts people in a situation where they feel like they have to follow a certain path for their own safety or for the safety for their family or the community. So that's just another thing that we don't often hear as much about. Yeah, I feel like, I feel like especially no, specifically, we, we, do, we do a disservice to our youth, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, we, we don't, especially low-income youth of color, we don't provide them with the resources that they need to, that they need to succeed. And then when they go and commit crime, oftentimes out of necessity, we blame them for it and we put them in prison. Like, I remember um, one of my friends has a mom who works in, like, who works in, like, um, a prison. She, she was saying how there were some kids who would commit crime just so they'd have like a roof over their head for like the right. winter and food to eat over the winter because they were homeless and, they, and, they, and if they were on the streets during winter especially in chicago mm -hmm. like you'd freeze you don't want to be in the streets in chicago when it's out yeah. yeah yeah that and that's just nuts to me you know right how can we be saying it's these kids fault for committing crimes therefore they deserve to be jailed when some people are committing crimes because they need a roof over their head Right. You know, that brings us to kind of, that kind of leads us into kind of our next question or kind of like our next section, which is this idea of we have the resources. Our state has the resources, clearly, because we are funding massive incarceration of a huge number of people in our state, right? Those are taxpayer resources. And so the question is, why is that money being perpetually used for the wrong purpose? It's not that there's a lack of funds, it's that there's a lack of direction with the funds. And so I kind of have an idea and that's something that we've sort of discussed at our last education day. We've had conversations about this before, but the industry, right? Uh, Jada Solo, you recently watched the uh, documentary, was it the 13th yeah. on Netflix? And so that's also kind of what we based our education day on as well as the documentary from Pearl, Illinois. Can you or anybody else speak on what we saw or what we learned from that episode where they specifically talked about why policymakers are kind of hesitant to repurpose that money? So basically, there's a lot of money in prison, in the mm -hmm. prison industrial complex. There's a lot of money to be made from the telephone people, from the people who provide the like, technologies, yeah. connect GTL network, so the food service providers, the commissary. So. There, there is so much money to be made in the personal industrial complex to the point where, like, if you take money out of it, these people, their their whole financial plan just goes poof, right? Just goes poof, and that's that's nuts to me. How you can like sleep with yourself at night, knowing that 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 you make money off of people's pain. I think it really comes from a place of selfishness because people like have jobs in these systems, like prison guards, the the nurses, the doctors, which I've heard they even like treat people well when they're injured or like they're sick or something. But that's besides the point. What I'm trying to say is that like there's so many jobs that rely on the prison system. And if so, if we focus on reentry and like really actually helping the people who are in the system, 
all these people lose their jobs and they have nobody to incarcerate and they have nobody to make their money off. And so I think a lot of politicians don't really care enough about reentry and especially because like we're talking about police and how a lot of times like they commit crime out of necessity they're fine with that and they don't want to give youth resources that they have because that continues the prison system because when people commit crimes and they're like in juvie or whatever when they're young they're more likely to repeat crimes when they're adults and then they can get harsher longer sentences which keep them in prison for a majority of their life i think what's especially insidious is that there are some organizations who will like be like oh we want to reform the prison system we want to reform it this is bad but they only want to reform it because of money they don't truly want to reform they want to they want to tweak it in a way so that they're still making money you know mm -hmm. Another really interesting thing that I remember being discussed uh, in our previous conversations is that we saw that even big companies, big brands, like clothing retail companies, like what was it, Victoria's Secret, JC Penny, that they use kind of prison labor to manufacture their products, and so it's modern day slavery. It's they modern day slavery. They have to pay them fair wages. They, they, they can't vote. It's it's nuts to me that, that the prisoners can't vote. Like, especially because these the people who are in prison are largely, like you said, Neroli, largely black and brown to it's another lower income. Price. Their vote. Yeah. Because then you can incarcerate them and you can have them like a felony on the record. You can't vote ever. Yeah. And that's really interesting because supposedly within the actual name of the title, like let's say IDOC, Illinois Department of Corrections, like it is meant to correct behavior. And so supposedly the idea is you serve your sentence, you've paid your debt, you're done. You've, you've served your sentence. You should be able to have all the rights that you had prior to you committing that crime because you already fulfilled the sentence that was deemed fair for the crime that you committed. And so the fact that they aren't able to, for one, vote, to uh, get like legal possession of like a firearm, even be in a household of someone who has legal possession of a firearm, which would be attained or verified through a Floyd card. And three, like, just, I'm certain I'm sure, there's a few other things too. Um, also, it is incredibly difficult for people who have a felony, who have a record to be hired for jobs. Yeah. So that only increases the need to commit crime yet again out of necessity because they can't get a job. They can't make the money that they need. And so they have to resort to committing crime once again. It's just it's just a never ending cycle. Like people, they commit crime, they leave prison, they can't get hired. So they commit crime again. Mm -hmm. And not necessarily that they have to, like their only option is to commit crime again. It's just like the they issue here is that they no feel that they have no other choice. And that is that essentially is the equivalence to that. Yeah. And so oftentimes so much more powerful but not having a choice. So now let's look a little bit ahead. So according to the polling of American Civil Liberties Union at Blue, the majority of Illinois voters are in support of politicians who are committed to decarcerating and taking action to improve sentencing policies. Governor Pritzker has gained a lot of support for this reason. On October 6, 2020, Governor Pritzker proposed principles to build a more equitable criminal justice system, which included the reform of sentencing laws. 
Um, further, he agrees that we spend billions of dollars a year keeping too many people in an overcrowded prison system that has proven itself too expensive, too punitive, and wholly ineffective at keeping Illinois families safe. He declared to the public as we move forward with the General Assembly to pass comprehensive criminal justice reform, it is my hope that the nation will look to Illinois as a leader in true equity and justice for generations to come. Learn of these issues and the impacts that they inflict and consider contributing to creating change by pressuring elected state officials to enact these policy reforms, encouraging the governor and the Illinois Department of Corrections to use their authority to release inmates, express support and appreciation to legislators working hard to pass these policy solutions and educate others on the importance of this issue. What remains absolutely clear here is that mass incarceration is a problem and it must be addressed with maximum urgency. COVID-19 is ever prevailing within the confinements of the state's correctional facilities and action has to be taken. This is no longer just a matter of racial justice and human rights, but now it is a life or death situation. So in summary, as you may have just seen, mass incarceration and the effort to decarcerate are both massively dense topics. There is just so much information to process, factors to consider, and voices to be heard. Nonetheless, it is critical that we educate ourselves and mobilize to create change, especially being the youth of this nation that will carry on to lead the next generation of change. If you enjoyed today's episode and you're looking to educate yourself more on this topic, be sure to come back for our next episode where we will begin to explore the topic even further. We educate ourselves and take action today so that we may better lead tomorrow. Will you join us? Keep up with our organization on Instagram at IMSAScrj. To locate our sources for the information provided in today's episode, visit the link in the Instagram bio. For any questions and or business inquiries, please email thecastellanos at imsa.edu. We thank you for your attention. Thank you. Bye. Bye.